Jesus. We magnify you, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, the more that we praise God, the more that we lift him up, the bigger he becomes in our minds, comes in our situations. God doesn't change. He's the same. But what happens is our, our perspective changes. Sometimes our giants seem so big because we forget about, we're, we're not looking at our God. But when we begin to look at our God, at Jesus Christ, we understand that he is the almighty God, that he is all-powerful, that nothing is greater than him. And when we exalt him up, when we lift his name up, we begin to magnify him greater than our problem, greater than our sickness and our pain and our situation. Amen. We drown out what the world is saying. We drown out the voice of the enemy. Why? Because we're focused on lifting him up. We're focused on praising God. Amen. And we can't hear what the enemy is saying. Amen. And that gets our minds and our hearts in the right place. Amen. To receive a miracle, receive something from God. How many need something from God today? Well, you're here in the right place. Amen. Just continue to worship him and to lift him up and Put your heart and your focus on him, and God can give you what you're looking for today. Amen. And it's not just a feel-good service, but God wants to change you from the inside out. Amen. You feel a lot on the outside, but what's on the inside matters most. Amen. And we want what we feel on the outside. We want that on the inside. Amen. Amen. We get that through the Holy Ghost and baptize in Jesus' name. Amen. And so... Amen. There's nothing like having the, the rivers of living water flow out of you, right, from the Holy Ghost. Amen. And talk about refreshing, talk about renewing. Amen. Through the Spirit of God is where it's all at. And I'm glad we're all here today to worship the Lord. Amen. Amen. God is looking for worshipers. Amen. I know they're here today. Amen. So good to see everyone here. We want to welcome all of our guests. We pray that God would speak to you and move in your life, amen, and you would receive a message from God today, amen, as you, as no coincidence that you are here, amen, everyone is drawn by the Spirit of God, and so we're all here, whether we realize it or not, because God has brought us here today, amen, amen, and I want what he has for me today, if he's brought me here, that means he has something for me, right, not going to leave in. me surrendering to him and his spirit and his word. Amen. Ushers, if you would come today. Amen. We want to remember uh, the events that are happening. Uh, continue to scan this code, our digital bulletin and everything that's going on here. If you need help, just let us know. Uh, but this changes, the events change on here. They're updated weekly. And so if you haven't scanned it since last Sunday, if you scan it, there will be some new things on there. So uh, we want to stay connected with what's going on, and that's the easy way to do that uh, with, uh, with technology today. You love it and you hate it, right? Amen. It's a benefit and a, a blessing and a curse sometimes. We try to make the best with it. Amen. And so uh, let's stay connected with that. Continue to pray for those that are traveling and those that are in need as we pray for this offering today. Why don't we do that together, Lord Jesus? God, we thank you, Lord, for this time, this opportunity. 
We thank you, Lord, for your spirit, your presence here today. God, we come to worship you, God, and to give you thanks and to magnify your name for all that you have done. We've come to give back, Lord, of just a, a little bit of the blessing, God, that you poured out upon our life. We ask you to keep your hand upon each and every one that is traveling, those that are in need of you. Name that we pray. Amen, amen. Let's come and give unto the Lord and worship today. Jesus, for your many blessings, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Hallelujah, amen. As we are standing, we can go word of the Lord today, the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 17, start reading in verse 8, amen. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. Moses said unto Joshua, choose us out men. Go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said unto him and fought with Amalek. Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. It came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were, weird, were heavy. They took a stone and they put it under him, sat thereon. Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady to the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. That's got to be some discomfort with a sword. But uh, the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the, tears of jo in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the Moses built an altar, and they called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi. Amen. I want to preach to you today from this title, Victory in the Valley. Victory in the Valley. Turn to a few people, greet them in the name of the Lord Jesus as you're seated today. Amen. At this, at this point in our text, Israel is still a young nation. 
not really even officially a nation because they don't have a land of their own yet, but they are just young and fresh out of the grips of Egypt, slavery in Egypt, and they are making their way across uh, the desert to where God is calling them and leading them. And uh, here we saw that uh, they get attacked by Amalek. Um, it kind of takes them by surprise. But as Israel is, is leaving Egypt and into the wilderness, they've been traveling. They first traveled for three days without water. And they finally came to a, a pond or a lake uh, it was called Merah, meaning bitter, and the waters were bitter. They were so excited, as you can imagine, not being not drinking water for three days. You're excited for any drip of water. Uh, so excited and so thirsty that they finally got to drink, but the waters were bitter and toxic. But what does God do? God heals the water right there in front of them. That's one of the miracles, just to add to the list of the things that Israel has already saw with their eyes. And so God tells them that if you listen to me, and follow my commandments, I will take care of you and I will provide the lesson that he's trying to teach Israel. And he kept trying and trying and trying and they just wouldn't get it. They came after that to a place called Elam where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. And so, again, God is showing his people that he will not only fight for them and bring them out of bondage in, in Egypt, but that he will also provide for them. And he will lead them to a place where uh, they can live and sustain themselves in the promised land. One, one place he led them had bitter water, but at least there was water, and God converted the water. And here, the next place he leads him is to the place of Elam, where there are 12 wells of water. And so they just show up, and there's already water waiting for them, fresh water. And, and so God is trying to lead them and teach them uh, through this young journey in their life. And so they get refreshed at Elam. And then after Elam, they leave that place and they go into the wilderness, and it is called the wilderness of sin. Doesn't sound like a place that you want to be in for very long, if at all. You just want to pass through that place, right? And so here... In the wilderness of sin, they cried out to God for food. God has already demonstrated that he can provide them water. Two occasions already. One was bitter, he made sweet. And the other was just a, a, a treasure trove of, of fresh water. And so God has already established that he can provide water for them in the midst of uh, the wilderness. And so here they come into a situation where they have, they've had all the water they want to drink. But as you know, uh, it's, it's hard to travel and, and go on a journey with just water. You need some sustenance to give you that energy to keep you going. And so here in the wilderness, they're crying out for, for food. They need more than just Gatorade or Red Bulls or whatever whatever kind of water they had. It, uh, it may give you wings, but you come back down real quick. And it's here in the wilderness of sin does God introduce 
uh, manna in the morning uh, and quail in the evening. And so people, the people of God now are getting free food, free food that just comes and provided for them at their doorstep. And they've already got the free water. Now they've got the free food. And uh, they were to put down any kind of unleavened bread that they had left. If they had any left, they've been traveling and uh, surely eating up their eating up their reservoir of, of food that they were told to take out of Egypt. And so they're to put down that unleavened bread, and now they have manna, some little uh, flower things, flower seeds, if you will, that they can start making things with, making bread. And uh, if, you can make, if you can make bread with it, that means you can make pancakes with it, right? And you can make biscuits and gravy with it. As long as you don't have the, the bacon, you can't, everything else but bacon for the Jews. Uh, and so after they leave the wilderness of sin, uh, then they come to this place in our text. They come to uh, the place of Rephidim. Uh, but this place had no water. Uh, again, it's seeming like a roller coaster in this journey that they are walking with God, but just for everything. One day you are provided with blessing, and the next day you're, you're kind of doing without. And we may not understand what God, what is happening, but we have to trust in God that he knows what is going on, that he knows when we're hungry, he knows when we're thirsty, and when it gets down to the point God will provide for his people, he will make a way for them, even when there seems to be no way, when things are dried up, and you may be in or a desert, but that does not mean God can provide for you. And so they have no water here, and the people, they're starting to get a little upset. They, they're, they're getting a little thirsty, and it seems like God didn't give them everything at once. One place you get water, and next, another place you get, you get uh, food and, and bread. Um... Here you get water, and here you get food, but no water. What would Israel had done if God had taken them to a place that had plenty of both? If you show up to this place and it has everything that your your body is looking for physically, it feeds all your, it meets all of your needs. What would happen then? Would probably they would say, "Well, let's just camp here. Let's live here." Why would we, why should we want to leave a place of blessing and a place of sustenance to, to again, to start picking up our bags and to walk through another wilderness where we may have to do without some things? Why would we want to do that if right here, right in this place, we have both food and water? And so maybe God was just kind of leading them a little bit at a time. Here, I'll give you some water, but you got to keep on going to get some food. And then once you get the food, you got to keep on going to get some some water, and as much as you and I want both things, all things, all together, God knows that that might not be the best for us at this time. God knows that maybe the best for us is just to give us a little bit of here and to keep leading us to another place here. I'll supply your needs here. You're never going to do without, but I will meet your needs, whatever, however big or small it is. I will make sure you have what you need. But if we had everything that we wanted progress would we go? 
Would we ever, would Israel ever make it to the promised land if here in Rephidim or here in Elam they had everything that they wanted and the more? Uh, I, I, I think it might have been hard for them to get up and say, let's leave this place and go uh, again to the unknown. Uh, and so as much as we want all of our prayer requests answered at the same time and at this exactly right after we pray them. God knows what's best for us. God knows that sometimes maybe if, if it's a delay in our life, uh, it's on purpose. That, that God hasn't said no, but he just says not right now. And, uh, and God knows our hearts and I knows our prayers. And uh, I know every Christian is, uh, secretly desires to win the lottery because God will bless your church and all these things. But there may be a reason, obviously there is a reason, because I don't play the lottery, so unless it's a miracle, find a, a winning team down. But um, uh, God knows what's best for us, and it, it doesn't mean he's ignoring our prayers, but that he, he, he knows uh, the best uh, path for us, and it may not always be giving everything that we want right away. Uh, but I'm thankful that I can still put... My faith and trust in God that even though I don't have everything that I need, I know that if I'm connected to him, if I'm connected to the source of living water, then he can provide everything that I can ever want and need. It doesn't matter where I am. I can turn to him and he can give me what I need to get through. And that is the, the issue with blessings, we want blessings and blessings are great, but sometimes blessings can stall us. We can stop progress and stop moving and, and get comfortable enjoying the bountiful blessings of God. And when God says, hey, let's, you know, that's great, I blessed you, but I, uh, I want you to keep on going with that. Keep, take that with you. Uh, but if, if we're if we enjoying the blessings and not really moving forward anymore, then uh, it, it becomes a hindrance, doesn't it? When the blessings of God can become a hindrance to us is when we stop uh, pursuing after God and just reaping uh, the benefits of yesterday's sacrifice uh, that can come back and, and hurt us in the end. And so uh, the truth is, is that Israel never did without. They had everything they need. They didn't have all they wanted, but they never did without. God, uh, can you imagine trying to lead millions of people through an, an, a desert and, and not people not dying off of starvation or thirst or, or hunger? Uh, God made sure everyone got through uh, to the other side, and, and that was there where they made that choice, where uh, they didn't want to go into the promised land. And so that's why a generation died in the wilderness. Uh, and so... Um, God is wanting to bring us to a better place, always wanting us to go to a better place. And, and sometimes uh, the truth is where we are right now was a better place than where we used to be. But we can't get comfortable here in this better place. Why? Because there is a better place from here. There's another place. There's a new level. There's a deeper depth, depth in God that is waiting for us out there. But we can't get comfortable here in this better place of blessing that, that was once uh, 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 where we were looking for. 
Um, we're glad that we made it to this point, uh, but that doesn't mean we need to set up camp and start living here and moving in here. No, that we got to keep on going. We sit here, we take care, we get rest, and we get encouraged here, whatever, whatever God has for us in this place. But after a while, we got to get up and say, okay, God, I've got to go somewhere else. i got to go to another place. We're not there yet. We're not at our destination yet. We're not in the promised land yet. We are, we're not there in revival yet. So i got to keep on moving. I got to keep going forward to see the miracles and signs and wonders that you're going to pour out in our lives. And I know I'm thankful for being here, but I know I got to still go forward in God to reach where God wants us. And so sometimes going to that better place, it takes time to get there. And sometimes you got to go through some valleys. As much as we'd like to to. Uh, traverse along the mountaintops and just walk on the ridge lines of mountains and never go down to a valley. That's really not how life works. That's not how uh, serving the Lord works. There's valleys and there's mountaintops. There's, there's battles and there's victories. And there's times of, of fasting and there's times of feasting. And I mean, uh, there's times where uh, you got to fight and there's times that you can rest. Uh, and so sometimes going to that next place, that better place, you have to go through a valley or a desert at times. As disheartening as we might think it might is, it's, it's, we make it worse than what it really is. We let our imagination run wild into uh, we don't know the unknown, and so we try to fill in the blanks with our own imagination what the unknown has. But if we would just keep our eyes on God and keep following the leading of the Spirit, it's not going to matter where God is leading us through. Why? Because we know we're just passing through. We're just through. We're in a valley today. Okay, that means God's going to bring us through the valley, and what's on the other side of a valley is a mountaintop, is a place of, of safety, is a strong tower is a high place in God that we can go, but we have to go through a valley, and God will promise that we'll never do without. He'll always provide for us. Need I remind us that this world is not our home, that we are just passing through. This world is a valley to us because we're, we're looking towards heaven. We're looking to a better place. I don't want to become complacent here with what we see because I assure you God has a better place for us on the other side, a place where there is no more pain, no more heartache, a place where the streets are made of gold. And I want to keep my eyes on those prize. I want to keep my eyes on that destination, and I want to keep moving forward in God, and so God will lead us, but will we follow? And so God tells Moses to go to the rock of Horeb, to strike it, and water will flow from it, and uh, there in the wilderness, uh, in Rephidim, there at Horeb, that, mount, that rock splits open in water, Israelites get water. And so Moses does that, and Israel gets refreshed again. Again, God's coming through. I mean, Speaking through, uh, striking, uh, speaking at a rock, and just a river flows out to to feed and to supply water for millions of people. But then something happens there in Rephidim that they don't expect. Israel does not expect. Uh, Exodus seventeen and eight. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now remember, they're just they're in the middle of a. They don't know where they're at. They're in the middle of a wilderness, passing through, leading, following, following Moses 
uh, to some uh, promised land that they know they're headed, but their their bearings, I doubt any of them know where they're at. Um, they're just in the middle of a wilderness trying to get through. And Israel's probably just barely making it. I mean, can, can you imagine leaving leaving your comforts in, in Egypt and now you're just you're you're walking every day in the in a wilderness in a in a desert, uh, traversing through this unknown territory. Uh, they're probably barely making it. The exhaustion from constantly being on the move. It's it's been nonstop since they left Egypt. At times, running low on food and water, and God supplied their need, and they kept on moving. And I, I don't know if anyone here has been camping for at least a day or a night, but I can tell you from experience, you don't get much sleep. You I mean you close your eyes, and you may, you know, drift off. But the sleep you get is me- mediocre at best, and unless you're glamping, as they call it, right? Glamping. Uh, the food, the food's not the same. I mean, you, you may you may name food you buy at, and you eat at home, but you're out cooking over a fire pit. It's just not the same. Uh, and somehow, everything gets sand in it. You think that's salt and pepper on your burger? Nope, that's sand. It just shows up like that needy friend you have. Wait, where'd you come from? You know, that's, that's uh, sand in your socks, sand in your pillowcase, sand in your sheets. And, and that's just from the first night, sand in your car. And uh, can you imagine how the Israelites must have felt? A literal desert with all the sand out there. It's been, it's been at least a month since they left Egypt. One month since they slept on their memory foam mattresses. It doesn't matter how much you spend on that air mattress, you always wake up and it's flat. You say, I'm going to upgrade to the nicer one, the pillow top air mattress, and you wake up and you still have back problems just from one night. Can you imagine the Israelites? It's been 30 days since they're out camping. Uh, and, And so here Israel was, probably at one of their lowest points, morale wise. I mean, you think about it. I mean, you one night of camping will tear, will take will cost you a couple days of rest and re- relaxation to recoup from that. Here, thirty days, they're, they're, the morale is probably low. Uh, frustration is high. Fatigue is no uh, is definitely high. And the last thing that you want to do is to go to war with somebody. But then Amalek sneaks up on them, and, and they, Amalek does not attack them head on like most battles are fought. No, Amalek sneaks up behind them and attacks them from the rear. A surprise attack. Now, uh, it's one thing to see the enemy coming, and you're already fatigued, and you're, you're barely making it. You know, at least you can prepare yourself, but... Uh, uh, when you're fatigued and you're half there and half out and then the enemy attacks you from behind, that's, that's got to be the worst. Uh, but that's what Amalek does. We see this in Deuteronomy 25. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. 
And so that's how Amalek attacked Israel from the, from the rear, the, the, the ones that were just barely making a dragon uh, at the back of the line. Uh, that's who Amalek came and attacked surprisingly. And he attacked those that were the weakest, those that were falling behind. And this was a cowardly move by Amalek to do a sneak attack on a weak and feeble people. But thankfully, Israel defeated them anyways. But why didn't Amalek attack Israel head on? Why didn't he attack them from the front and, and face them when they were at their best? And uh, they'll send their best and we'll send our best. I mean, that's, that's how a lot of battles are. Amalek wanted to attack them at their weakest. But isn't that just like the enemy? Isn't that just like the enemy? He's always going to attack you when you are at your weakest. When your faith is drained and, and you're just kind of barely hanging on by faith and you're, you're just kind of barely making it and barely getting through the church and uh, when you're physically weak and in pain or when you feel weighed down by life and your circumstances, that's when the enemy likes to show up when at your, your weakest point. That's when he shows up and he starts attacking your mind and he starts injecting seeds of doubt into your mind and, and to your soul, seeds of despair and seeds of fear, the, the thoughts and the things that you think about, you, uh, you don't normally think like that. But here, somehow, at your weakest point, now all of a sudden you're starting to say things you normally wouldn't say. You think things you normally wouldn't think, and you're thinking, what, why? Why, why is that happening? Well, it's because the devil knows that you're at your weakest point, and if he can come and attack you while you're down, uh, he can do a, a good work on you because he knows he's not going to attack you when you're on fire for God. He's not going to attack you when you just leave a, a prayer meeting and the Holy Ghost has, has fell down and the power of God has moved and you're walking around uh, casting out devils. That's not when the enemy is going to attack you, is he? He's going to wait until you're weakest. And he's going to come and attack you. Not when you're at your best. Not when you're on the mountaintop. He's not going to come. But that's when, that's when he likes to show up. Valleys are a, a long, narrow region of lowland between ranges of mountains. As you can see in the picture, we don't really have valleys here in Florida. We don't have mountains, so we don't have valleys. We've got canals, and I guess maybe that can work, at work the best, right? If it dries up and you get in the little ravine, there's, there's our valley, southwest Florida Valley. But you got high hills on both sides, and many times you've got a river or a stream running through the bottom of it from all the, the snow-capped uh, mountaintops, and, and it melts. Uh, and so that's obviously the definition of a natural valley, uh, but symbolically... A valley can mean something different. It paints a completely different picture. A, it's a low point or an interval in any process. It's a, uh, a, a, a transition point where you're moving from one area to the next. But if only symbolically they looked like uh, as beautiful as they do in real life, many of them, uh, we wouldn't really mind the valleys. But a valley is often referred to as a low point. While geographically it is the lowest point, but symbolically it can just mean uh, an interval, a moment of time 
from one pa- passing from one place to another. And I, I think maybe we could substitute uh, the term wilderness uh, for valley. I think uh, symbolically they can work together. It's just a transition point. Um, but while it can also refer to dry and barren, valleys and wildernesses are designed to be transition periods and places. They are not meant to become a dwelling place. They're not meant to build up, build up residence and take there uh, as your new home. If we view the valley as a moment of time between two high points, then a valley doesn't appear to be too bad. Yeah, of course we want to be on the high points on either side. But if we understand that if you're in the valley, that means you're on your way to the mountaintop. If we can just view a valley or a low point or a wilderness as that, then it doesn't seem as bad as well. Sure, the mountain can cast uh, shadows into the valley. There's lots of shadows down in the valley. Because you're obviously lower than the the walls around you. But down there uh, in the valleys where the shadows can be, shadows don't always last forever. If you keep on moving, eventually you will pass through this period of a shadow and you will step out of it and you will step into the light, but you can still be in the valley and there's light in the valley. There's shadows in the valley and there's also light in the valley. It just depends on where you are in that time period as to whether you'll be in the shadows or you'll be in the light. And so you're not always in a gloom and doom situation. You can think clearly in the valley, and you can make good decisions in the valley. Uh, It's not always a bad place, but sometimes if we allow the shadows of the valley to oppress us and to to come over us and, and, and take our attention and our focus off the next mountaintop that we're headed to, then we begin to make bad decisions and think wrong thoughts and, and, and do things that we normally wouldn't do if we're on the mountaintop. Because you're on the mountaintop, you're thinking clearly. You're not, you're not worried about things. You're, you're, you're enjoying the, the scenery and you're enjoying the place that God has placed you there. But when we are in the valley, really, the only thing that has changed is our scenery. Our surroundings should not dictate to us how we should think or how we should act or what we should say. We should have a made-up mind that no matter where we find ourselves, if I'm on the mountaintop, I'm going to be a worshiper. If I'm in the valley, I'm still going to be a worshiper. The surroundings aren't going to change who I am on the inside, but I'm a worshiper. On the inside, I'm giving God praise. On the inside, I'm putting on the mind of Christ, and I'm thinking on good things. I just happen to be in the valley right now, but that doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change uh, that I'm a worshiper. I'm still going to praise God no matter where I find myself. And so it's in those valleys, in those wildernesses, in those periods of transition, uh, we do not need to go uh, backwards thinking. We don't need to become a, a carnal-minded and, and, and fleshly thinking. Uh, that's the time that we should put on the mind of the enemy because that's where he likes to be, in the shadows of the valley. The enemy is going to be. We don't put the mind of the enemy on, no. And, and those key points, 
it is crucial that we have a clear mindset. It is vital that we maintain the right perspective so that we can make the right decisions while we are in the valley. Because decisions that are made in the valley can alter where you're, gonna, where you're headed. It can determine how quickly you'll get to the mountaintop or maybe you make some decisions in the valley and you get detoured and the, and the, the mountaintop is, is kind of delayed now. Not because of, of, of what God is doing, but oftentimes many of our decisions can cause a delay because we didn't make the right choice. And so we have all experienced uh, in the valley, uh, there are seeds that are scattered everywhere because that's where uh, a lot of water is and a lot of greenery is. Uh, and so in the valley, there's lots of seeds, seeds that are scattered all over the place and they're waiting for a passenger to come by and pick them up. For permission, they just latch onto your clothes. Or they latch into your foot or your shoes, like a sandsper. Uh, they don't ask for permission. They just hap, hop on, don't they? Or there's little hitchhikers or any kind of little things that just jump on, your, jump on your clothes. Those are seeds. And they're looking for somebody to take them so they can be dropped off and be planted somewhere else. Uh, and so... There's two types of seeds that are in the valley that we pass through. They both want to attach to you. One seed, when caught, will bring you through the valley up to the mountaintop on the other side, and the other seed will keep you in the valley. It will attach to you, and it will do everything it can to prevent you from leaving that valley and convince you to stay in a place that is meant to be temporary. And it becomes permanent if we give in to that thinking. The seed will cause one to become a resident in the place where they're not supposed to live. God did not want them to live in Elam. God did not want Israel to live in Rephidim. He did not want to, them to live in the wilderness. Uh, he was wanting them to live in the promised land, and so he was passing them through. But if they just decided to say, hey, I'm staying here, then their odds of survival are going to be are going to change because that's not where God has called them to be. Some people are, are staying in the place where God says, I don't design for you to stay there that long. You're just being there too long. You need to get up. You need to wake up and go to where God is. You need, to, you need to pick up your bags and say, this place is only temporary, and that's good and bad. And if you haven't left your place in a while, you need to wake up and say, it's time to move forward. It's time to go see some new land, some new ground to get some fresh water, some fresh wells, and some fresh springs of, of living water because where God's leading us uh, through a, a journey, uh, each stop is only temporary. I don't want to stay in a place that God hasn't designed me to stay very long. I don't want to outstay my welcome. Uh, and so uh, the seeds uh, are, uh, one seed is called hope and one seed is called despair. One seed is hope and one seed is despair. When you grab a hold of the seeds of hope, they're going to bring you through that valley. They're going to give you what you need to get to the other side. But if you allow the seeds of despair to attach to you, you're probably not going to be leaving that valley anytime any soon. Uh, you'll, you'll not make the right decisions. Your, your judgment will be impaired. Why? Because of the seeds of 
there that have attached to you and clung on to you and are covering you and are oppressing you because uh, they, they try to take up root in your mind and will blossom into bad decisions further keeping you in the, ba- in the valley because despair means to renounce all hope. Despair means to renounce all hope. That means you're not getting out of here. You're not getting out of this valley. Uh, and and God, the, the, the valleys that many people might be in, it's okay to be in a valley, but as long as you pass through the, the, what God is leading you through. But it's not okay to pick up the seeds of despair and say, oh, woe is me. I, I can't make it. I can't get out of here. That means you're stuck in the shadows of the valley. And that's not where God has called his, his children. We are the children of light. We're called to be in the light. We're called to pass through whatever situation it is. We're not going to stay here. We're going to keep on moving forward and leading, uh, going where God is leading us. Only in the valleys, wildernesses, and places of transition is where these seeds are found. You don't, you don't find hope at the mountaintop because hope got you up there. Hope got you to the top. If you're not hoping, if you're not looking for the mountain, you're not going to make it up there. And so uh, hope is not there. Hope is found in the valley. What you need to get through the valley and out of the valley is found in the valley. The seeds of hope down there that you can do anything with God is for you. Uh, and so if you, had, uh, if you had it before you started climbing, then you don't need what you think is up there. A lot of times we think everything is waiting for us at the top. But God says, no, I'll supply your need down in the valley. I'll give it to you down in the valley. In in the middle of your situation, God's going to make sure you have everything you need to get out of it and to get through it because God will provide for you. He's not going to put you in a situation where you can't get out or where he's not going to make a way. And so everything that we have to get through our valley, God has already given to us right there. Seeds of hope and seeds of despair are in the valley. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not, so, not only so, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience patience, experience, and experience hope. And so where does hope come from? Hope comes from tribulation. Because tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And so a lot of times we want to skip the line and say we, want, we need a fresh dose of hope. But where the hope is, is in the valley of uh, tribulation, where you got to go through a hard time, uh, where you got to go through the shadows of, of the valley, where you got to go through the unknown and you're, you're not sure how you're going to get out. That's where the seeds of hope are found. And you got to grab onto those hope. You got to grab the hope that God is trying to give to you. Don't grab onto the despair. There's enough despair in there to keep you there forever. You got to find the hope in God. You got to find the truth. You got to find the light in your situation and grab a hold of that and God will bring you through up to the mountaintop because down there in the valley is where everything is 
Hope comes from experience, which comes from patience, which comes from tribulation. So the seed of hope is found in tribulation. The seed of hope is in harsh conditions. It's in the wilderness and it's in lowly places. It it may seem dry and barren, but there's somewhere in that situation, somewhere in your place today, there's a seed of hope that's going to get you out of there. There's a word of God that's going to bring you through and give you that word of encouragement to help you get through your situation. It's all there, right there in there, the valley with you. You just got to look for it and find it, and that will help lead you out where you are. You find the seeds of hope while you're in the valley, but it doesn't really blossom until you get out. Seeds can live in dormant places for a long time. And just because you see a pile of seeds, you may think, oh, there's nothing here. But you take one of those seeds, you go plant it by uh, a river, you go plant it by a river somewhere, and that seed will will grow up, won't it? Just when you think that there was nothing there, but it was just a seed, just enough to get you through and get you out of it. Uh, Hope says... That this valley is temporary. Hope says that I'm not staying here, that I'm just passing through. Hope says that there's something greater on the other side of this. But despair says I can't make it. Despair says there's no way out of this. Despair says you're worthless and you deserve to be here and that there is no help coming. Uh, Be careful what what seeds you grab a hold of because one of them is going to get you out. One of them will keep you there. Our flesh will tell us that there's only seeds of despair in the valley. But if you walk by sight, then you'll see them. But you got to walk by faith. And God will lead you to where what you need to get through that situation. It's in the harshest times when we are passing through the valley that we need just to close our eyes and, and just begin to walk by faith. We just begin to close our eyes in prayer and say, God, I, I can't look around me, God, because I don't, I don't trust my eyes. I don't trust what I'm seeing, but I'm going to walk by the Spirit, Lord, and I'm going to grab a hold of your hand, and you're going to lead me through it. I don't have to see the valley. I know I'm in it, but I'm just passing through I don't want to spend too much time in a valley because I know you've got a better place for me and i got to close my eyes and seek you out in prayer and you will make the way for me to get through the valley. David said it best, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You see, David said, I'm I'm walking through the valley. He doesn't, he didn't say, I'm now moving into the valley, I'm living there. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not going to fear the shadows in the valley. I'm not going to fear the enemy in there. Why? Because I know that I'm not alone. I know that God is there with me. His rod and his staff are going to comfort me and he's going to bring me through wherever I need to go. But you're not going to do that with your natural eye, are you? Your your natural eyes are going to try to paint a different picture. Your natural eyes are going to try to keep you there, to keep you locked up, keep you in a a pit of despair. But you got to close your eyes in prayer and to find the way out of there. 
David saw the seeds of hope, and he grabbed a hold of them, and he marched right through that valley of the shadow of death. And so don't let the enemy tell your situation uh, what it is, that it's hopeless. Don't let the enemy lie to you and believe his lies, even though you may be in the valley, dry conditions. You may be in the wilderness, but I'm here to tell you that God has given you everything you need to get through your situation. He's given you everything. There's seeds of hope. There's a way out. God will make a way out, but you got to seek him out and find him in prayer and through the spirit and walking by faith, and God will get you through your situation. Musicians, if you would come. Exodus 17 and 9, Moses said unto Joshua, choose out men and go out and fight Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand were heavy. They took a stone, they put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, one on one side, one on the other. His hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And then Moses built an altar, and he called it, the name, the name of it, he called it Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi means God is my banner. God is my banner. That's what he, he raised up symbolically as it lifted up his hands. Uh, God is my banner. When two nations go to war against each other, the thing that goes out first is usually their banner, flag. It has its own design, its own colors, its own symbols that is unique to each country. Because we don't want any mix-ups, do you? I mean, you want to know what side you're on and where your side is. And that you know that by your flag, where your banner is. Uh, they sew the, sew the banner on their uniforms so they know which side you're on. And so the, the flag identifies which side you are on and it lets the other side know that these soldiers are fighting under the direction of this certain country, this government. These soldiers obey the command and authority of the banner to whom flies over them. And this banner, this flag, is not held low where nobody can see it. But the flag, the banner, is held as high as it can. It's painted on our airplanes. It's painted everywhere. You wanna, we want everyone to see our banner, our flag. Uh, and so... We want you to know who you are fighting against. We want you to know who is supporting us and who is fighting for us. And so Moses wasn't going to stand down there in the ground, down in there in the valley uh, with his people down there. No, Moses says, no, I'm going to get up to the mountaintop because I want, I want the enemy to see. I want the enemy to see me raising my hands. Even though they're attacking me, I'm still going to raise my hands and I'm going to raise uh, my banner. And so as long as the banner was raised, as long as Moses' arms were raised, Israel prevailed. But when his arms came down, Amalek prevailed. And so Aaron and Hur realized this and said, we've got to do something about it. And so they had Moses sit on a rock. And while, 
while he held his hands high in the air uh, uh, and they supported his arms because as long as that banner is lifted up, Israel had victory. And because of that, Israel defeated Amalek because they wouldn't let Moses' arms go down. And so even when they were at their weakest, God gave them victory over the enemy. And Moses built an altar, and he called it Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. And so even if you are going through a valley right now, and you may be at your weakest point, don't fear, don't worry. You can still defeat the enemy with the help of God. Because Israel was at a weak point, and God says, no, the enemy's not going to defeat my people. Even in their weakest point, I'm going to stand in. I'm going to be their banner. I'm going to come and fight for them and the weakest Israelite beat Amalek and destroyed them and so don't uh, allow your weakness to think that you can uh, be beat by the enemy no even when we are weak then we are strong in him right to the hills where cometh our help when we need help from God we're saying God help me out here help me out of this valley the enemy is after me enemies attacking me but I can still do it I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me as long as I lift up my hand and my, my banner of God I'm still gonna do it I'm still gonna keep on fighting he said I want the enemy Moses says, I want the enemy to see our banner. I want to see the enemy to see our banner, how the battle is won. It's not won through our might or power, but it's won by worshiping God. I'm going to go find the tallest hill that I can find because I want the enemy to know what side that I'm on. I want him to see my hands raised. I want him to know that I am a child of God and that God is fighting for me. Even though you attack me at my weakest, I'm not going to lower my hands. I'm going to keep them raised. I'm still going to be a worshiper. Even though I feel the pain in my body, that's not going to keep me from raising my banner. That's not going to keep me from raising my hands and worshiping. I'm not going to be silenced. I'm not going to stop praising God. I'm still going to be worshiping him because my hand is going to go up because that is my banner. That is my victory. That means God is going to be fighting for me. Amen. You believe that with me? Stand with me today. Just a few short years after we became a nation, America went to war with Britain again in 1812. The British forces invaded Chesapeake Bay and they headed towards Washington, D.C. And on August 24th, 1814, Britain captured Washington, D.C. and burned down the Capitol building and burned down the White House. Next on Britain's list was they were moving to Baltimore to conquer Baltimore city by city. But in Baltimore, we had a star named Fort McHenry. And as you know, flags, banners, they're flown at forts, representing what side, whose base this is. And Commander Major George Armistad knew that the British were coming for him. They knew that they were headed for Baltimore. They knew that they would be there soon and so he asked for a flag to be made he already had one 
So he asked for a flag to be made. Quote, so large that the British would have no trouble seeing it from a distance. Uh, you would think this enemy, the army is coming after you. You would think, though, let's put up a small flag. But he says, no, I want a special flag made. I want this flag to be so big. I want my banner to be so big that the enemy knows exactly where I'm at. Because he knows I'm not going to let my banner down. I'm not going to let it go. And so the flag was made. It's stars, 15 stars where each star was two feet wide. Eight red stripes and seven white stripes each were two feet wide. And the flag measured 30 feet by 42 feet. That would be half of the sanctuary. A flag, special, just made for this, this, this moment. And so Britain found Fort McHenry, as you can imagine, you cannot miss it with a flag like that. And at 7 a.m. on September 13th, they started firing cannons at the fort. And they did not stop firing for 25 hours. Over 1,500 cannonballs were fired, and each of them weighed about 200 pounds. 1,500 of them. You can imagine, do the math real quick. So 1,500 divided by 25 hours is roughly one per minute. A cannon was fired one per minute for a whole day. And they're firing at them. Every minute for 25 hours, Fort McHenry was attacked. Who on earth could survive such an attack like that? From the most powerful navy in the world. This wasn't just some little pirate ship. This was the most powerful navy in the world, Britain. It was all quiet the next morning and all eyes were trying to catch a glimpse of the fort. If there was anything left, surely there's nothing left. A cannon firing every minute for a day. And so, as the song goes, oh Say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight, oh, the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave over, over the land of the free and the home of the brave. And so even through the most vicious attack that they had still in the morning, the banner was still waving. And that's how we got our, our national anthem, the star-spangled banner, because one man says, no, we're not putting up our smallest flag, no. We're going to let the enemy know exactly where we're at because we're not letting that flag down. We're not lowering our banner. We're going to keep our banner raised. We're going to keep it held high. Even though we're in the valley, we're still lifting up our hands. Psalm 60 and 4 says, Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Psalms 20 and 5, We will rejoice in thy salvation and in the name of our God.
God, we will set up our banner. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. And so when the enemy comes looking for us, we should be clearly visible. I'm right here, devil. You can come try your best. You can come attack me, but hey, my hands are going to stay up. I'm going to stay praising God. I'm going to be holding my banner high. I don't want him to make a mistake. I want him to know that I'm still, I'm here at church. Even though I went through the, when the song starts playing, I'm raising up my banner. I'm raising up the victory. Why? Because God is my banner. God is my victory. And when I'm at my weakest, I'm still going to praise God. And I want to, are there any worshipers here today? Are there any worshipers that are lifting up their banner? Whatever it is that you're going through, it's not the end of you. You're just passing through it. Let's lift up our banner today. Come on, what situation do you have? Come on, I want to open up these altars. Let's go. 
of the Lord. Can we shout with a voice of triumph? We're not going to be defeated. We have the victory through Christ. No matter the situation, no matter the valley, we have a way out. God is going to make a way. Hallelujah. As long as I keep my hands up. Amen. And we're going to be victorious. Amen. Not going to let our situation bring us down. Amen. Even if I, if I have pain in my body, going to keep my hands lifted up. If, it, if I can't lift my hands, I'll be lifting my voice. Anything in me. We don't need to be stopped being a worshiper just because we're going through a hard time. No, it's in that, it's in that valley. That's when we need to be shout the loudest. That's when we need the enemy to know who we are and who we stand with and that God is going to fight for us. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. God does not want us to be defeated. We are a victorious people, amen, it's, and it's the, the decisions that we make in the valley that can determine how quickly we get out, where we're going to go, amen, and so we want to make sure we're making the right decisions, and the victory is found in the better way out to the top, it's down there. We've got to grab a hold of the seeds of the Word of God down there. God supplies our every need, and even in the darkest times, God is going to be there with us, and He's going to bring us through, amen, no matter the situation, we're going to the mountaintop, right? One way or another, we're headed up there. That's where we're headed. I don't know about you, but we're all headed to the mountaintop with God. We're just passing through this time in the valley, the wilderness, whatever it may be. But through it all, we're going to be worshipers. Through it all, we're going to keep him exalted because he is Jehovah Nisi. He is our banner, right? I know we're, we're, we're Americans and we have the American flag, but uh, above the fl American flag, I'm, I got my, my God flag, right? We put God first. We're serving him. Amen. He's who is fighting for us. He is who our Father is, and He is who we're going to follow after. Amen. So don't let the enemy discourage you and beat you up and get you through your situation because God's got a better place for us. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed today. In Jesus' name, go encourage one another. Amen. Encourage each other in the Lord. Lift up the banners of praise. We're not going to be silent worshiping God no matter what's going on. Amen. God bless you. Man, don't forget, we have the bread. If you want some bread, and in the back, God bless you. Also, we, you'll see out there we have a, we're having a walk-through shower for Shane and, and Kristen. They're expecting their baby here in the next few months. So we're excited for them. We should